And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Gen 3 cars break cover as Klopp picks down to big test. App said Fred as top Formula E gamekeeper turns poacher. And we're joined by some real Brazilian flair, but there's no Neymar, Carlson or Vinicius Jr. in sight. Hello and welcome to the latest Formula E podcast from the race. My name's Andrew Vanderberg and this week I am delighted to welcome the driver on the grid who I probably enjoy watching over a single flying lap more than any other. Neo 333 Sergio Sete Camera. Great to have you with us. So welcome to the show, Sergio. It's a pleasure to be here speaking with you, uh, Sam and Andrew, and uh, discussing a little bit about my, my career in Formula E and about the new season ahead with the Gen 3 cars. Yeah, happy to, to, to be here with you guys and speak about the, the upcoming season. Uh, well, Sam being in his way to the mic is our one and only Formula E writer, Sam Smith. Sam, as ever, you can get us going. What do you recall of seeing Sergio in action for the first time and what have you made of his uh, Formula E career to date? Yeah, well, I was obviously aware of Sergio's work in F3 and F2, but really I didn't see him in action until Formula E. His old team manager at Dragon Penske, Gary Holland, is is a good friend of mine and, and a great gauge, actually, of how a driver works. And Gary was one of the most effective and therefore trustworthy elements of the team when I think Sergio began back in 2020. So really good, um, give a good appreciation of how Sergio works. You know, his, his reports were glowing. So, so that was a good sign. And I think despite the obvious frustrations that Sergio had um, pretty regularly, he, he, he did show great flashes of speed and, and great ability i see him as most others see him i think someone who can really do the business when he's allowed to and um, the trouble is he's not really had a proper opportunity or at least a consistent opportunity in formula e, but 2023 should allow him at least a fairer crack at, at getting some top results i feel Okay, Sergio. So we're going to do this in a slightly reversed way in terms of going through your Formula E career. Uh, let's start with the here and now. You've just joined the 0333 for the 2023 season. So what have you made of the team and uh, how it operates and the differences maybe with the, the Dragon setup? Okay, uh, first of all, thank you, uh, you both, for the po- very positive comments. Uh, as Sam said, Gary, as team manager in, in Dragon and somebody I highly admire. So very glad to hear he had good things to say about me as well. Um, differences in the team. Well, Neo is uh, a much bigger team than what Dragon was, especially towards the last season. Dragon was very reduced in size. I believe the team owners already knew that the team would uh, be uh, dissolved. So they started, uh, people started to leave and they, they weren't hiring people to, to, put, to put back in place. Uh, I remember before the last round in, in Seoul, in Korea, uh, we sat down for the engineering meeting b- before the, the weekend was starting, so the, pre- the pre-event meeting. 
And uh, we looked at the table and it was like five people sitting on the table, only five people. So we had a laugh uh, about <laughs> it. Yeah. So it, it, it was, it was a, a very special situation. Like I said, the team was, uh, was ending, everybody knew, and it was a very small team reduced in size. So I believe you have to work in a way that you take care of many things. Even as a driver, you've got to look after yourself, look at your own data many times because the engineers don't have time because they have to do other things. And the same goes for the, for the way the team works. You know, in, 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 in Dragon, the engineer had to multitask. Uh, in, in bigger teams like Neo now, everyone has their role and they can have time and focus to, to dig very deep uh, into their areas. So it, it's just a different structure. And when I say Neo is big, it's still small compared to other Formula E teams, but it's much bigger than the structure I had in Dragon. And I completely agree with what Sam said. Uh, let's see, let's see what the, the future holds and, and, and maybe we will have a better feeling after the Valencia test. Uh, but judging just from pure team size, I think we maybe won't be winning races, but I think we'll have opportunities to be competitive and fighting for, for good results uh, in a competitive way, which many times in Dragon was not possible due to the resources we had and, and the size of the team. So, Sam, the Neo 333 has got quite a complex history, and it's easy to forget that once upon a time this was the inaugural championship winner. Can you just remind the listeners of the progress that the team's gone through over the last few seasons? Oof, well, I, I think there's more chance of the World Cup finishing before I uh, finish this saga. So, uh, but here, <laughs> here goes. <laughs> yeah, the, the the team was originally entered as Team China Racing in 2014, the first season of Formula, and actually won. That first title, memorably, of course, with uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. It then morphed into Next EV when the late Martin Leach brought, uh, bought the startup in um, 2015, I think it was, and, and the Neo brand then emerged into the championship. It's had various entry names since then, but was essentially Neo based in Oxford uh, until 2021. It went through a period in seven, between 17 and 19 as one of the best, well, one of the best financially supported teams. I mean, it was on a very healthy budget in the paddock, but it clearly didn't spend that budget properly. And there were a whole host of management disagreements, failures in that time, which saw it drop to pretty much also rounds in the championship and, and was frankly a bit of an embarrassment by 2019. In the summer of that year, it was refreshed via the 333 Motorsport brand organization which has always been described to me as a kind of chinese pro drive so clearly this was a professional and ambitious entity that taken over the team um but the old neo was left in such a state that the 2019 2020 season was simply a rebuild rebuilding exercise since then it's had a bit of stability some some good management and although budget-wise, it's as, as Sergio said, it's nowhere near the top manufacturers. When I say manufacturers, Neo is a manufacturer, of course, but in terms of OEMs, it's nowhere near those levels of spending. Therefore, you'd have to say that the financial regs that have been implemented in October of this year, started in October, are perfect for a team like Neo. They've always had a strong engineering ethic and core. And, and they're admired by fellow teams up and down the pit lane for their staying power, but just the way they go racing as well. So I must say I really like them too. I think 
they just appear to be proper racers and they do a lot on modest resources. So for 2022, they moved to Silverstone and they made lots of changes, including um, Sergio coming in for Oliver Turvey. And there's just, yeah, there's quite a positive sense about the team. So the feeling is that, that Sergio may, may just have made a smart move going to uh, Neo 333. Well, Sergio, it's a good time to be making a move with the new car coming out. You've had a chance to run the Gen 3 car. I believe you've tested in Spain, Verano, and the really exotic climbs of Mallory Park, where a million years ago I once tested an F1 car. Um, what, what are your feelings about the new car? <laughs> uh, uh, well, um, the new car is a lot more powerful, uh, of course. That's the first thing uh, you really feel when you step into the car. It's quite impressive, the, the speed you get up to and how fast you get up to those speeds. Um, as soon as I did my first laps in Verano. Um, there's a lot of control system involved. So in terms of the setup, you can do a lot of the setup, but really the, the engineers that uh, are the department of the control systems, they have a lot of, of um, power as well into how the car will behave and the driver needs to understand well the car systems to be able to drive it fast. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a step forward. I'm a bit worried about uh, the battery issue because there's quite a lot of uh, issues with the batteries, I think, across all the all the teams, and it hasn't been different for us for us as well. But uh, hopefully, the FIA and I think and Williams uh, technology can can fix this before the first round and ho- and 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 then and making uh, the debut of the Gen Three a success. That would be the best case scenario. Yeah, we've we've heard that there's there's been a few reliability issues, should we say. Do you think with that in mind, the keys in the first few races at least is just going to be the teams that get the car running the most effectively are going to be the ones that get the points. It might not just be about outright pace. Ah, definitely. I, I have the feeling it will be exactly like that. Because Formula E, one time every four years, they make very extreme changes to the regulations. So... Uh, yes, being fast is important, but especially in the beginning, having the reliability uh, and being consistent in terms of just finishing the races, doing the laps you need to do, is uh, plays a bigger role. And then as the teams uh, get more mileage in the car, uh, all of them should uh, uh, converge into uh, being having the same level of of reliability, more or less, give or take. And then the teams that have more performance should stand out but uh yeah definitely think the first two three rounds uh, will will be uh, extremely important to be consistent and to have the reliability in place the, the thing is the, the thing is it's, it's also a luck factor because for example batteries uh it's i don't think you can blame any team for having a battery issue because they're not even they're not even allowed to open the battery so i, I think there's also some luck involved to be honest uh, uh, because yeah there's nothing the team can do about a battery issue for example and i do think that's going to be the most often often issue we're going to see in the start of the season but you know i really trust as well formula e and and, and all the companies that are all, uh, involved and it might look scary in the testing to see so many things happen and uh the, se- the, the season is uh, not too far away from starting but i but i do have a lot of trust in them and i and i still have a a high confidence that the problems will be fixed, but it, but uh, you know there, there might be still be some issues in the first rounds, and I don't think uh, that would be a, a big surprise if it, if it was the case. 
Yeah, when running is limited like that, it's really important that the team and teammates there have a free exchange of information. You've got a new teammate in Dan Tictum, someone you went up against uh, in F2. Uh, how are you two getting along? Uh, very well. Of course, during the, um, the pre-season testing, the, the, the way the days are distributed, the team tests with just one car. So I haven't had much, much uh, contact with Dan yet because it's usually or he's testing or I'm testing. We've been only been together when we're overlapping. Uh, but yeah, he's a good guy, a very fast driver. And I think uh, the team really likes him as well because he's a, a genuine guy. He will, he will say whatever is on his mind. He won't put much of a filter into his words. And oh, no. uh, sometimes that can be positive. Uh, sometimes it can it can be negative, of course, but I think most of the times it is positive. And, and in the end of the day, he's a fast driver, and uh, I really hope uh, I, I've worked well with all the all, all my teammates in the past, not only in Formula E but also in other series. And I don't see why it would be different this time. What do you think, Sam? There's certainly no doubt in that on paper. There's you know, got two very quick drivers there, but how's that going to work out between the two of them? Yeah, it's going to be super interesting. I think. Neo three 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 have had quite a you know quite a smooth continuous um, strand in their driver lineup through Oliver Turvey who's been there since the back end of season one so it's a new it's a new page for them I think I think that the two of them um, as Sergio says they know each other from from F two a little bit and um, I think what you touched upon earlier V to B in terms of Sergio having a very exciting style over qualifying laps which we love to see and and love to watch but of course in the in the Penske occasionally it he was pushing it so much that he um he occasionally had a shun and and I think what we understood from last season is that Tictum is, is slightly I was quite surprised pleasantly surprised actually how few incidents Tictum had there was the the odd few because in Formula E there is throughout the grid but I think it's a really really strong combination Tictum and, and Sergio in that team and I think Neo should be congratulated in giving these guys a um, a chance because by right Sergio should still be in Formula E um, and, and there are there are lots of people who thought that he would get a drive elsewhere on the grid that didn't happen that's not to say that Neo is a you know isn't a good place to be because we, we think or we hear that they've had some really strong tests and as Sergio says with the new rule set it's a reset so I, I think they could be in for a really a really strong season there are so many variables in Formula if you haven't got your preparation right then you'll get found out super quick and Sergio knows that because he's now he's done two and a half years in the championship on Tictum I, I, I just yeah as I said he he applied himself really really well last season there was frustration there were times when he um he, he uh, didn't look the happiest person in the world, say to 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 say that. Um, but we've seen drivers with bigger reputations or bigger CVs or whatever come into Formula E, and they've sunk. You know, Antonio's teammate last year had a really tough season. Esteban Gutierrez sunk. Felipe Massa didn't really do it. So fair play to Tictum because, as Sergio knows through his experience, you have to fight for everything in Formula E. No, this, this championship is, is, is brutal for the driver because it, it puts you on, under a lot of pressure and it kind of almost exposes the, the, the driver uh, a lot because uh, unlike endurance racing, for example, or Formula One, uh, at Formula One, the teams are so different 
you're only racing against your teammates in the end, which there's still pressure involved, but, uh, you know, maybe your teammate will finish if you're in a Williams the, or, or a Haas, the, the car is, it's doomed. Their team is almost, you know, they're destined to finish in the back. So let's say if you do a much better job than your teammate, you only finish one position in front of him. In Formula E, there's, it's close enough that if you do a much better job than your teammate, you'll finish several positions in front of him. So I think it really uh, puts a lot of pressure into the drivers into, across all the teams. And, and WEC, it's even, even less pressure, I think, because you, you share the responsibility with all the drivers. So in a way, I, well, in a way, no, in, in many ways, I, I really uh, agree with what you say about how, how hard Formula E is, as, um, how demanding, actually, it is for, for the drivers. There's also a good side on that because it really, it, it, it really makes you, um, th there's nothing that will stimula stimulate the driver and make him so, you know, w willing to race and to push hard like Formula E because uh, the championship really rewards who drives well. So that's also uh, exciting because some of the series, I think it doesn't reward so much the driver that does the best job. Um, yeah. So there's a positive and a negative side to it, I would say. <laughs> Well, talking about uh, how brutal um, Formula E can be, obviously you did that rookie test in Marrakesh uh, in early 2020, but it was only when Brendan Hartley, uh, the XF1 and uh, WEC champion driver, left Dragon that you've got the opportunity to race. At that time, did you think this was a, a long-term career move for you? Uh, I was not. I knew it was a good opportunity, but uh, I wasn't sure the, the, the team was going to go for me. And also, I was focused on Formula One still uh, at the time. Come, uh, come to think about it, I now looking back, it almost sounds crazy. But uh, but you know, w when you're out of F2, um, you, you don't really know what are your, your odds. And I was in contact with uh, Dr. Marco in Red Bull and trying. I was actually reserve driver for AlphaTauri for Red Bull that year, so I was very much focused in in Red Bull and in Formula One. And I just wanted to try to have a shot there. Who knows, you know, all the drivers got chances to drive. And I was thinking, wow, maybe I got a chance in Formula One, maybe a free practice or I can do good in the test session or whatever. Uh, so that, that, that was where my mind was at, to be very honest. And uh, sometimes in life, it just happens in ways that you don't expect. And I did the Formula E test just to gain some experience, to give it a shot. And it ended up being where I am making a career. So that's, that shows how important it is to keep all doors open. On the Formula One thing, very briefly, um, how important is it for Brazil to have an F1 driver? Because you got close, like you say, you were uh, a reserve driver at AlphaTauri. Now we see uh, Drogovic, he's won F2, he's a reserve driver at Aston Martin, although who knows how much actual seat time he'll get there. There must be a huge demand over there, for a, or a huge desire to get a, a Brazilian back into F1. Yeah, I would say motorsports in Brazil it's uh, almost sums up to F1 only. <laughs> there's a Brazilian stock car. Uh, there's Brazilian, uh, actually, uh, people, you know, our truck racing series, like actual huge trucks, uh, they are, I think, almost more popular than the stock car. There <laughs> uh, you go, Sam. You can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you know, Sam used to do European trucks over here. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a secret past. Yeah, it's, it's good because you don't need to be on a diet. <laughs> well, suits me fine, Sergio. Suits me fine. That's what attracted me to it. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's, of course, series in Brazil, which are not small championships, but really 
what is really popular is Formula One. Like when people speak about rallies in Brazil, there's very little uh, people don't really follow rallies or they don't really follow endurance racing. So the the culture is not really spread out. It's Formula One, period. And now, of course, Formula E is trying to get into the Brazilian market, which I think is a really clever move because hopefully, you know, they will be able to impact the Brazilian people and to start gaining some uh, market share like over there compared to F1. But it's clear that F1 is really the, the biggest thing by far when it comes to, 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 to automobile racing in, in Brazil and actually to any forms of racing because even bikes, are not so popular in Brazil. Um, so it is so important for us to have a Brazilian driver. I think we have some good candidates uh, on the on the queue. I was expecting already for us to have a Brazilian driver this year, considering the results uh, Drogovic had. I was very surprised to see that he was not already on the grid, because uh, of course I wish he was. But I do think they, in one year or two, we should have a Brazilian driver on the grid. Uh, because there's many good drivers uh, in F2 and doing well, so a big companies willing to uh, sponsor them. We see we start to see some really powerful uh, companies on the uh, showing their logos on on the Formula One teams, Brazilian companies. So it is important for the people, and I do think it will happen. Yeah. But what what was really interesting is that I thought after Massa left F1 that. Formula One was really going to go down in popularity in Brazil. I thought it was going to be, uh, would lose um, relevance, but that did not happen. So Formula One, I think worldwide, uh, improved a lot as a, as a product. It's a lot more popular. So that's, I think, true for anywhere in the world. But in Brazil, the well, they cheated, didn't they? Huh? They they adopted Lewis, they they adopted Lewis Hamilton as an honorary Brazilian, so they had someone. Ah, yes, that's true. I forgot about that. That's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I mean, like actual Brazilians, I, I when when Massa left, I thought, wow, this is this is going to be very bad for Formula One in Brazil. It's going to lose a lot of popularity, and I was very worried at the time because I was racing in Formula Two. So naturally, I was worried that people would lose interest. I would have struggled to find sponsors and supporters and so on. But actually, the opposite was true. The, the sport continued to gain popularity in Brazil. So today, despite not having a Brazilian driver, Formula One is extremely popular. The tickets are all sold out. People go crazy for Formula One. So it really looks integrated into, into our culture more than I even imagined. I always thought that it was because we always had a Brazilian driver, but that's not true. People really love Formula One in Brazil. I hope some of that love... Uh, gets shared with Formula E uh, now from from season uh, from from the next season onwards. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Call one eight hundred Directv. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. 
StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Right, so I'm bringing it back to, to Formula E. Um, we mentioned earlier uh, about uh, Sergio's uh, uncanny ability sometimes in uh, qualifying performances, uh, in qualifying. Um, what stands out as a highlight for you of, over those past two and a half seasons? Well, he dug out some epic performances, didn't he? Didn't he? For me, it's between London and New York, uh, just the memories of Excel and and Brooklyn I think Excel probably just shades it because he came back from an immensely frustrating first race when he could have got a top six potentially I mean six seventh potentially I think on the day and then he got the points later in the in the second of those double headers some of his qualifying laps were were really something I remember actually being in the comms commentary box at New York last season and Dario Franchitti was digging his nails into the desk as Sergio was <laughs> ragging it around the uh, the Red Hook circuit. I mean, you probably owe him some money for the the subsequent manicure on that one, uh, Sergio. We all know Dario likes to to get his manicures done, but uh, that was that was a memory. Just yeah, just breathtaking reflexes. You know, he was he was way over. Well, he was over the limit on the Saturday, as we saw, but on the Sunday he was still right on that limit, and it was just. Just great to see. Reminded me of when Rosenqvist was in Formula E and I used to go out for the odd free practice session and, and used to make sure I was really close to um, the action and Rosenqvist just took the breath, breath away and that was in the Gen 1 car. Can you imagine what these guys are going to be like in the Gen 3 next season? So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm definitely going to get out on the track in uh, some free practice sessions So um, and I'll be looking for Sergio because he, he definitely entertains, that's for sure. Sergio, any uh, particular highlights for you? Is there one lap you were especially proud of? Um, I think there were a few good good attempts, uh, really. So I I really like the ones of of this past season because uh, the qualifying format was more fair, I think. So if you did a good lap and you went to the duels, you went to the duels uh, in a fair way because before there was the group's advantage, as we all know. So that's why I give a little bit more value to the laps I did last year. But I think I had a, a few good laps uh, that I really like and I, I remember them and I, it's, um, I, I enjoy thinking about them. One that is special to me is my one on the first ever Formula E races I did in Berlin. It was a bunch of rounds together. And I remember on the, on the final one when we had the, the, that, that, the last layout of of Berlin, which we never raced it in again because it was a special layout they did just for that weekend. Uh, that quality lap was really, I don't, when I look at it in a few, in two or three corners, I think three or four corners actually, I go so close to the wall that I, even I don't know how I, I don't touch. Even when I look at the video, <laughs> it's still it's still not possible to believe that, that it didn't crash. So, uh, and, and I remember when I was in the car as well, I was thinking, wow, that's just, I think I'm starting to get close to the wall. And then I, I finished the season with quite a lot of confidence, thinking, okay, I can go really close to the walls in this series. And then I arrived in Riyadh and I crashed. I crashed in, in qualifying. So as Sam said, it was really uh, risking it a bit too much sometimes. It also costed me a reputation, which I think today is more of a reputation than an actual fact of, of being risky and crashing. Because I kind of earned this reputation uh, uh, by crashing, but 
Um, I think recently I've been able to put more laps, maybe take a little bit less risk, still put fast laps and bring the car home more, more often. So uh, that's what I'm trying to aim for, of course. It's to find the balance between how much risk you can take and, um, and, and how much speed you have and uh, try to be clever about it. I think also if you're having a competitive car and fighting for points, you might even be a little bit more conservative. Who knows? So I'm just trying to, to shave off and find the best compromise possible. Sergio, do you think with the Gen 3 car that that style, if you need to implement those reflexes and really give it some and, and get close to the walls, from what your experience says so far with, with the testing you've done, is it going to be a different style that's needed or are you going to still have to really give the car a thrashing in, in qualifying? I think it's not going to be... I think it's going to be more of a relaxed driving. I don't think it's going to be so much pushing going on because the the engine, the car now has a re engine in the rear and in the front. So there's quite a lot of... Uh, when I speak to, to some other drivers and other teams, I hear the same. On the entry of the corner, there's quite a lot of resources that help the, the, the driver. So you're almost limited to to, to to what the the systems can offer you, um, I I think you almost have to drive 99% all the time instead of being on the limit of driving 100%, 101%, 99%. So yes, I I think it's gonna be a little bit more uh, relaxed the the driving style. I don't think you it will you will be re massively rewarded by taking a lot of risks. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope that. Uh, and also keep in mind, I've only tested in normal tracks. Uh, none of them were street tracks, the one I've tested in with walls and stuff. So maybe once you're in the street tracks and you have walls, I can, I can tell you something completely different. And I spoke, I spoke about corner entries, but we have to remember this car has a lot more power. So especially in the high speed now, we're going to approach much faster. So you're going to have to be, have more courage to take those corners. So. Yeah, let's see how it goes, but I, I'm expecting it to be a little bit less aggressive, the driving style. It'd be fascinating to see. Yeah, I can't wait to get those much more powerful cars onto a proper street track. Sergio, we can't um, let you go without talking about a little bit about your life away from the track. So I understand that you've set up an institute that you're involved with, uh, helping to develop sustainability in education. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And just, just on that one of the power, uh, I really look forward to seeing Rome. Uh, you know, we have that uphill oh, yeah. section. Uh, that's going to be beautiful on the new car. So it's very high speed. I, I don't think it's going to be flat out. Um, yeah, so we have a, an institute in Brazil, uh, which I set up uh, with my father. So what we do is we have uh, a project called Automobilismo Educacional, which is in Portuguese. The name, of course, it means... Um, uniting education and motorsports. So we have 40 kids um, from public schools of the area nearby my city, where we have also this karting track. And they are uh, selected. These kids are selected based on social uh, vulnerability and uh, the, their school performance. So they, that's how we measure. We have a partnership with the City Hall uh, as well, which give access, which gives us access to the these numbers, so that we can select the kids 
in a fair way, a democratic way, uh, a meritocratic way, sorry. And uh, they come to the racetrack twice a week. They are there for around two to three hours. During that time, they, 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 they drive the go-kart. So they have the practical lessons. They have the theoretical lessons as well before they drive the go-kart. Uh, after some, uh, th those, th those group of 40 kids, they, they are between 10 and 14 year old and the cycle is 12 months. So they stay in the Institute during 12 months. In the beginning, we need to spend a lot of time teaching them the basics about flags. What is the meaning of flags about safety and so on? But these kids are very intelligent. So after about a month, they are tired of hearing about flags. So we start teaching them other things. Uh, so we bring them, uh, like psychologists, uh, nutrition, um, uh, we, we bring them to a, a aeronautics center because we have a partnership with the university. So we try to do this partnership with companies that can uh, either help financially or help through um, providing something to the kids, food, uh, clothing, or an experience such as the university, which also supplies us with teachers to teach different subjects. And sometimes they bring university students to teach different subjects. And really the objective is to provide the best experience possible to these kids, uh, teach them uh, the most we can. And, um, and, and at the same time, they have the experience to try a sport that they probably wouldn't have access to. And a sport which, in my opinion, teaches a lot. So that's, that, that's what we do in, in, in the Institute. Oh, oh no, it sounds, uh, sounds great. And uh, hopefully we'll see one of the graduates of that go on and uh, make themselves a career in motorsport. Yeah, it's um, we we thought we think about that sometimes um, because you know we, we we could choose we could have chosen to do a format where we, pro, we 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 have less kids because at the moment we have forty so it's quite a lot of kids um, but so we could have done a format where it's less kids and we incentive them a little bit more so but what we really think is sport teaches a lot of lessons sport is healthy and many of those kids will not, not, you will go to them and they will say, I love to drive the go-kart. I really like this. I love to be here. I love coming to the Institute. But some of them, when we take them to the aeronautics center, they want to be a, um, a, 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 a stewardess, for example, because we also have, we have the same amount of boys and girls. And uh, another one to be an airplane pilot, another one to be a doctor. So. Uh, they, they might love uh, racing, but only a few of them, uh, let's say maybe tw 20, 30% want to be race car drivers from having their experience. The others, they understand that they're there to learn and they want to do something else. So um, I, I think we took the right decision on this because we're providing for more kids. And if we find really a great talent, we, may, we, we, we might have to set up a way to, to incentive that kid. Uh, but if we don't find, then at least we have uh, given opportunities to many kids, you know, to, to have a great experience on the, on the Institute. So that's how we, we currently work. Ah, oh, it's great stuff, Sergio. Um, great to hear. So Sam, um, just before we, uh, wrap this pod up, there's a little bit of news we've got to cover up. Uh, one of which involves uh, a Fred on the move, but it's not the, uh, industrious Brazilian midfielder you're talking about here. <laughs> no, and we should explain that we're doing this podcast as Brazil play Switzerland in the football. So Sergio is sacrificing his uh, his national team. I, c I can tell you that it's nil nil at half time, Sergio. They are grinding it. You need to know. <laughs> I, I I'll be honest. I, I I have I have the video here on mute, and I I, I look at it sometimes. Uh, I thought you might be. <laughs> 
Uh, drivers always have our undivided attention and, and it works both ways but uh, yeah Frederick Espinos who's been a, um, a figure throughout Formula E's history first with the FIA and then latterly with Formula E operations as, as the sporting director has has uh, jumped over to the to see if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence with the new look apt team for 2023. So that team is forming. They've made other recruitments recently, but yeah, another another interesting one. Probably not quite as contra controversial or contentious as Frederick Bertrand, um, the FIA um, Motorsports Innovation boss and Formula E uh, linchpin uh, going to Mahindra and Frederick. Uh, takes up his position just before the Valencia test so it's going to be a bit of a double take when you see those those pair of Freds in uh, Mahindra and apt um, team gear respectively that's going to be a bit peculiar but uh, good luck to Fred and um, yeah you know there's lots of other news um, going on obviously there's a tremendous amount of testing happening private testing with the test and development cars that the manufacturers have Jaguar uh, we've been in Califat uh, last week Mahindra have been at Almira. Uh, we know that uh, Lucas Degrassi had an accident at that test and uh, the car was severely damaged. Uh, you'll be able to read a bit more about that on the hyphen race.com. Um, McLaren drivers, uh, they are completed with Jake Hughes joining uh, Rene Rast, which has been announced this week. Uh, so great to see Jake in the car. Um, he's been a reserve driver with, first of all, Venturi and then Mercedes EQ the last couple of seasons. Uh, it's good to see him getting a chance. We've seen plenty of new liveries with launches by Jaguar, Nissan and DS also. There'll be more to come ahead of the Valencia test, which is all just a week away now. Um, so, yeah, plenty going on, but it's all hands to the pump with the things that we, some of the topics we talked about before and, and Sergio's touched upon the battery issue which um which we believe has a solution but it remains to be seen for for how long over the duty cycles of that that spec unit um plus the the pace of the parts getting to teams it's it's going to be that i'm expecting to go to valencia on the morning of the first day of testing and still see some of the teams um assembling their cars and getting them ready so i'm not sure we'll see all the cars out in that first hour but maybe surprised as we know motor racing does surprise us when these new projects have been put together but yeah lots of um lots of real anticipation as to this new gen 3 car and seeing what the order might be and i think Valencia, I'm not sure he's going to tell as much because I think lots of teams are going to still be finding their feet with this new equipment. Um, but what do you think, Sergio? Do you think we're looking at Valencia? Do you think there's going to be um, smooth running, or people are still going to be ironing out plenty of uh, issues with their cars? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm also a bit um, curious to see what will happen. I think. There are still going to be battery issues because they're still happy. I tested uh, a few weeks ago and we, we, yeah, we barely even ran. I mean, I maybe I did one lap. <laughs> so I went to the UK, did one lap and went back home. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, based on that, I think there's still going to be issues. Um, but I, I just, I, 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 I just think uh, Valencia is also always a bit tricky, you know, because there's the track limits. I hope they, the, the organization is really looking after that because, you know, although if you don't control that, then the, the lap times become completely irrelevant. 
So I hope there's some control in regards to that. Uh, I don't know what they're planning to do with the track layout, but I really hope they put some some walls. Uh, they do the not the traditional Valencia, the the actual Formula E race Valencia, because that makes it a bit more realistic and comparable to a Formula E track, uh, a street track. Uh, yeah, those are my comments. And then the rest is, is tough to to say. Yeah, maybe we'll know where we're there. What I what I'm a little bit concerned about. Uh, I'm sure the, the it's being taken care of already, but. This will be the first track where we really reach very high speeds. So, uh, you know, we've had some issues in the testing, I think, uh, across some teams where, you know, the car doesn't do a very good job at stopping when uh, when you have an issue. So, you know, I, this is going to be a very high speed track. And I just, I think, you know, yeah, it worries me a little bit, but, um I think the the organization is maybe working on some breaks. I don't know. You, uh, uh, that that's what I I think is going to be done for the rear. And I and I hope and I'm really in favor of that. I'm I'm a, I'm a, if that's true, then I'm a big uh, support of that because I think it's it's uh, a good idea. Yeah, just to explain a little bit what Sergio is talking about there, the the, the car doesn't have rate, any any rear brake material, but what we're hearing is that that is being considered that some calipers can be put on the back and act as an effectively a, an emergency brake if there is an issue. So at least there is a, a sort of default uh, solution to a car leaving a track. So yes, yeah, remains to be seen. Um, we're hoping that we'll we'll have some information on that soon, but uh, obviously you'll be able to read it first on the hyphenrace dot well, brilliant. I think that's a good uh, time to wrap it up. Sergio, we'll let you go and watch the what remains of uh, the Swiss-Brazil game. Uh, you know, the Swiss are giving you a good old game here, so uh, yeah, good luck with the rest of that. I'm sure you'll be in the World Cup final, though, so don't worry about that. Um, look out for all the uh, news from Valencia, Sam said, on the website, and we'll be back for our final podcast of the year, wrapping up everything that happens in that test. So, yeah, good luck for testing and for next year, Sergio, and uh, goodbye to everyone, and catch you next time. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.